At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food, we'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here, in the ordinary, everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. Glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to start by adding my birthday thanks and uh, salute to Dr. Paul Wilson. Uh, man, 57 years of ministry. How many thank God for his faithfulness? Dr. Wilson and I have uh, known each other for, it seems like over 20 years now, about 20 years or so since uh, my first days of uh, seminary. And it's great to just see how God has blessed him and used him uh, over the years and super grateful for many conversations and uh, many ministry moments together. I'm also grateful for the multi-generational uh, nature of our ministry. Uh, Paul celebrates 76 years uh, today, 76 years young. Um, EJ is 16. I'm 26. Um, so we're, we're checking all the age groups, <laughs> just joking. Uh, but I am grateful for the multi-generational uh, nature of our church. And I pray that you would invite your family and your friends knowing that there is something here for everyone, no matter what age or stage you are, from our children who are being blessed today, through our children's ministry, to our students and teens, young adults, all the way up, uh, God has something here for you. So please take advantage of this season. There's a lot of things to be excited about, and I just want to take a moment and encourage you to reference your bulletin, because this week we have one of the great inserts in your bulletin. You know, once a month we do this insert that lists our new members. I want to encourage you, look at that insert. Make note of the many men and women who are joining our Woodside family and pray for them. You may not even know them personally, but they're a part of not only your church family, but your spiritual family. So I want to encourage you to pray for them. But this also gives me the opportunity to say thank you for your generosity because none of our campuses would be here if it wasn't for God's grace and your generosity. So thank you uh, for that. Across 15 communities, uh, God is allowing Woodside to preach the gospel today. And how many thank God uh, for that this morning? Amen? Amen. And I just want to celebrate just two things. You know, uh, this month, not only are we going to be celebrating Good Friday and Easter, but next week, our Algonac campus that has been a portable campus is going to have the grand opening of their new permanent facilities that doubles their capacity just before Easter to be able to minister to men and women in their community. How many think that's awesome? Praise God for that. And then in two weeks, our Detroit campus is going to be celebrating 10 years of ministry, their 10-year anniversary. Praise God for what he's done uh, through the generosity of this church. Uh, we are, this is the last month of our fiscal year. We're getting ready to end our fiscal year. And I'm just going to simply ask you uh, to help uh, us to finish strong so that we can be set up for a next year. And our next year is full of dreams that we have laid before the Lord locally and globally that we might reach more people with the gospel than ever before. We've all heard the saying before, it's not how you start, but how you 
finished. So I pray that we would finish strong and that you will be faithful as you already have. And if God has spoken to your heart, this would be a great time uh, to give a special gift as we invest not only locally, but globally in Thailand and India and our global partners around of the world. So thank you for that. Uh, with that being said, how many thank God for his word? How many praise God for the word of God? Today we're going to go back into our series we call it Soul Food. I love that title when a meal with Jesus is about more than food. And this series has me thinking about some of the most impactful meals, some of the best meals that I've ever had. And if you're anything like me, when you start thinking about your favorite meals, it goes to holidays. Now my grandmother was a phenomenal cook and she passed that skill on to my mom. And I'm here to declare today that my mom, Pat Brooks, is the heavyweight champion champion of holiday meals. Hands down, she does the best. She is phenomenal. And when I think about what Thanksgiving and Easter and Christmas meals were growing up, here's how you know you have a good meal. When you eat and take a nap, all for you to have the strength so you can eat again. That's how you know you have a good meal. And that's what holidays are like around uh, the Brooks household. And my wife is a phenomenal cook as well. But as I begin to read through Tim Chester's book and I think about what we've been studying here, these meals throughout the gospel of Luke that Jesus had with people, it reminds me of the fact that the best meals are not just satisfying because of the food that we eat, but they're satisfying because of the presence of Jesus in the midst. It reminds me of... Um, some of the meals that I've had where Jesus was clearly present, like about 15 years ago, there was a, a young a Jewish sound engineer, one of the radio stations that we were broadcasting on. And he was a, he was a good friend. We were developing a friendship from uh, being around each other, but he had yet to believe that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And I remember us having lunch together. He got to pick the restaurant. The food was great. But what was even greater is us walking through Isaiah 53 and seeing his eyes open for the first time to the fact that Jesus is not just the Savior of the Gentiles, but he's a Jewish Messiah as well. I think about uh, how great it was uh, years ago to go out with uh, an intern who was working for me during my stockbroker days at Morgan Stanley. He was a Palestinian Muslim who had not only rejected Jesus, but Christianity altogether, kind of associating that with this uh, sense of uh, political and social worldview and kind of thought that there's no way that that Jesus you worship loves me or us. And it was over a series of meals and conversations that I saw his heart soften and his eyes open to the fact that Jesus loves the world. And it's been amazing to see how God meets us in meals. And all of this causes me to uh, think about Psalm uh, 63. Can you turn there with me? Psalm 63, we're not going to camp out here, but I just want to visit it for just a moment. And here the psalmist says these words in verse number five, Psalm 63. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. 
I love that. He says, God's presence is like a fat and rich meal. For all you dieters, please forgive me, but this is the Psalms. This is the word of God. He's rejoicing because he is saying that God's presence is more satisfying than anything that the world can offer. And today that's my premise that I hope to convince you of, that only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts and the greatest questions of our minds, that only Jesus can satisfy. My question to you is that your description of Jesus. Is he like a great meal? Is he the, satis- the one who satisfies your soul? Well, today I want us to look at Luke chapter 9. And I want you to join me there. And in Luke chapter 9, we see one of the more famous meals of Jesus. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. Now, we might not typically think of this as a meal with Jesus because the miracle of the moment seems to overshadow it. But this is exactly what's happening here. Jesus is inviting those who are hungry to have a meal with him. And today he invites all of us who are hungry, hungry for more Hungry for truth, hungry for love, hungry for answers to the deep questions of our, of our hearts. He invites us because he wants us to know that Jesus is enough to fully satisfy everyone who comes to him. Now, verse number 10 picks up the heart of our story, but don't overlook verses uh, 1 and 2 because we get the mission of the ministry of Jesus. We forget often that Jesus was a missionary, meaning that him and, and those original disciples and us by extension were called to go where the gospel had not been preached and to proclaim it to men and women who are apart from God's love and grace and invite them to experience it. And in verse number 1 of chapter 9, he gives them power, the power to do that by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But then in verse number two, we see what they're called to do. And it says in verse number two, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. I love that. I love that because it explains in simple terms what our responsibilities are as disciples, what their responsibility was. It was on the one hand to proclaim to proclaim that Christ has come, that the King has come, that grace has come, that the love that, that heals our hearts of the guilt and shame we have of our past and our sins, the love that sets us free from the prison of fear, that that has come. The kingdom has come. Salvation has come. That's the message that you and I proclaim, and that salvation is found in Christ alone. But I love the fact that he doesn't stop with his care for our souls, but he also extends his care to our physical bodies. They were to proclaim the kingdom in order that men and women might secure eternal salvation, but they were also to heal physical bodies. And maybe that's extraordinarily practical to you today. Maybe today you come into this room and your body is sick and ailing, or maybe someone you love has been at the top of your prayer list. I just want to remind you that Jesus cares infinitely for your soul, but he cares deeply for our bodies as well. He cares for our practical needs, and he is here to meet those things. Only Jesus satisfies. And so equipped with the power of the Spirit and and this mission, they go out, and verse number six tells us, And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. 
You know what's so great about that? Is they simply obeyed. They simply obeyed. Some of you remember that old hymn, trust and obey. For there's no better way to be happy in Jesus than to what? Trust and obey. Some of you haven't heard that. That's all right. But it's a great reminder to us that our job is not to try to figure out everything of how the kingdom works. Maybe for us, it's uh, something that's a mystery, how salvation works or how the power of God works or how this thing called forgiveness works. But friends, there's a lot of things that we use that we don't know how it works. I don't know how my cell phone works, but I praise God that it does. I don't know how this GPS can tell me which way to go and where there'll be traffic jams and reroute me, but how many thank God that it does? You don't have to figure out everything concerning the grace of God, but trust that his grace is sufficient. And so they went with that simple message and they did what Jesus called them to do. And man, did God move. And what we're going to see next are three attributes that just remind us of why Jesus is the only one that can satisfy us, deeply satisfy us. First reason is seen in verses 10 and 11, and it's because Jesus is never too tired to welcome those who seek him. Look at verse number 10. It says, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who, were, who had need of healing. What's so great about this particular uh, moment in the ministry of Jesus is how excited they are to come back and tell him what he knew was going to happen, happen. They were so excited to share with him what they had experienced, that the gospel really is the power of God to salvation, that Jesus, you do actually satisfy, that the world is hungry for the good news of God's grace. They were so excited about it. It makes me think of my, my two-year-old who is learning her ABCs. And I'm telling you the sweetest sound right now in the Brooks household is my little Christiana singing her ABCs to us. And it is like the greatest accomplishment of her life. And then after she sings her ABCs, she invites us to do the same. And I think it's because she's not quite sure that I know my ABCs. So she wants me to prove it. But it's all this beautiful moment of her being able to share what she's experienced. And now the disciples are sharing with their Savior what they experience. That the Spirit of God is saving that your love is transforming, that your grace is true, that the truth does set us free. And Jesus is so excited. But let's not lose what just happened here. This was an intense season of ministry. They had gone town to town, and now they were in between towns. Bethsaida was kind of this rural area. It wasn't a metropolitan area. It wasn't dense. It wasn't busy. As we're going to see in just a moment, it was a, play of, a place of retreat. It was a place where they could rest and reflect and that's exactly what you do after a busy ministry season. For years, my wife and I did student ministry. We did youth ministry. And I remember uh, these teen retreats that we would do. It would be about a 48-hour period of sights, 
sounds, and smells. I'll leave it to your imagination to think about that. But just imagine a room full of teenagers. You're ministering to them. You're mentoring them. 48 hours, it is absolutely intense. And what we would typically do after those 48 hours is rest. If you've ever worked for a church or ever gone on a missions trip or ever been in an intense season of serving, you know what it's like. You, you do that, you give it your all, but then on the other side of it, you rest. And this is exactly the moment that we find them in. They just did this intense season of ministry, and now this was a time to retreat, to relax, to reflect on what God had just done. For Jesus to teach them, for them to rest, to have restoration of their souls. But the crowd finds out where they are. Now, what you have to know about this is that Jesus' ministry, when you read the gospel, has this trajectory. In the early years of his ministry, the early seasons, it's a trajectory upwards. His popularity was almost like rock star status. But as he continues to proclaim the truth, the religious leaders turn on him. They spread dissension about him. And by the time his ministry ends, he is all alone. Even his disciples have abandoned him. But this is on the front end of his ministry when popularity is high and everybody wants to be around him. So they find that he's in Bethsaida and they all go there. This whole, whole crowd goes there. Now, what would you think his response would be after an intense season of ministry on retreat with his team? What do you think his response would be? What would be your response? Now, how many here by the show of hands love hosting people? How many are given to hospitality? Show me your hands. Four of you rose your hands. Praise God. That's a prayer request for our church. The rest of you are mean and you don't like people. <laughs> but even those who love hosting, even those who are given to hospitality has their limits. There are certain times when you say, I'm just tired. I don't feel like hosting. How many praise God for the invention of caller ID? One of the top three inventions in all of humanity. For you to be able to screen and say, right now is not a good time for me. That's natural. There's nothing to feel guilty about. All of us have our limits. What I love about this verse and why I uh, am drawn to Jesus even more is in a time when you would expect that he would reject this group, the Bible says in verse number 11 that he welcomed them. He welcomed them. Simple words, but are so powerful. He welcomed them. He spoke to them. He ministered to their bodies. And I just want to say this to you. That just as he welcomes them, he welcomes us. And maybe you think my problem is too big and there's something wired within all of us where we don't want to be a burden to people. And maybe you are wired in a way where asking for help is difficult for you. And uh, I don't think that that is abnormal. Maybe there's some wisdom when it comes to people, but as it pertains to God, don't ever think that your problem is so big that he won't welcome you. Don't ever think that your sin is so severe that somehow you're beyond his ability to save. Don't ever disqualify yourself from his grace. And you may say again, Pastor Chris, you have no idea what I've done, the people that I've hurt, the mistakes that I've made. And that's true. I don't know what you've done, but I do know this, that there's nothing we've done on earth that's greater than what he has done on Calvary. How many thank God that his grace is always available? He is always saying, come unto me, 
all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's always an, uh, an open sign when it comes to Jesus. And so maybe you can't go to everybody. Maybe mom's too far away or not even here anymore. Maybe friends are not close. Maybe you feel like there's nobody else I can turn to. Turn to Jesus because he is never too tired to welcome you. He always receives you. Take to him the things that you can't take to anyone else, the burdens of your souls, the secrets of your hearts. Lay it all on him, because as you lay your cares on him, he takes those cares upon himself, and he replaces them with his grace in your life. Well, the story doesn't stop there. It goes on, and in verse number 12, we pick it up, but here we're going to see that Jesus never is too weak to provide for those who need him. Verse 12 says, now the day began to wear away, and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Let me just pause there for just a moment. Over the last week, I could relate to uh, this particular passage. We just came back from a family road trip. We spent about 46 hours on the road visiting uh, family and friends, and I tell you, uh, a road trip, a family road trip brings out the best of you and the worst of you. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And I feel like getting a t-shirt to say, I survived. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it was awesome. We got a chance to experience so much. I don't know if my kids loved it so much. Uh, there were different times where they, I'm sure, wondering, why are you doing this to us? And my response is, because my father did it to me. Everyone deserves a road trip, a family road trip. But my wife's job was to be the navigator. I drive, she navigates. And one of the things that's true, if you have ever taken a road trip, is that there's uh, certain parts where you're in a major city and there's a lot of places places to eat and, and get lodging, but then there's these uh, kind of country roads where you might go a couple hundred miles in between those places and, and gas stations and places to eat. So what my wife would often say to me or to us is, we need to come up here to eat, to use the bathroom, to rest for the night, and if we don't, there's going to be a few hundred miles, a few hours before we can do that again. Now, there was a lot of powerful lessons learned, and I'll tell you about later, uh, with uh, heeding and ignoring that advice. But this is the moment that Jesus is in with his disciples. We're in a desolate place. The sun is going down. Listen, Jesus, you got to send them away because if they don't go now, they're not going to find lodging and they're not going to find food. This is practical. This is pragmatic. There's no sin in the way they're thinking. But his response, as is typical with Jesus, is not what we expect. Verse number 13, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. 
What a powerful moment. Jesus turns to them and he says, listen, you feed them. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus wasn't aware of what he was asking? Do you think Jesus was surprised by the limited amount of supplies that they had? He was not thrown off in the least bit. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was putting them in what felt like an impossible situation for intentional reasons. He asked them for something that seemed to be beyond their ability to do. And such is the case with you and I. And maybe even in this room, you sense that Jesus is asking you to do something that's impossible for you to do. Maybe you're sensing Jesus telling you to stay in a marriage and to love a spouse that seems impossible to love, or to raise a child that seems too difficult to raise, or to stay in a difficult workplace that seems impossible to stay in, or something even more extreme, to serve him in a capacity that seems to be beyond your skill set. We are so prone to do what they did, to assess our natural resources, to look at our resumes and to turn back to God and say, God, I don't have enough. There is no way that I can lead in the way you've called me to lead. There's no way that I can take on the responsibility you've called me to take on. God, this is too much for me. No doubt that's how they felt. And in that aspect, I can relate to them because they're so often when God is asking me to do things that I feel like this is beyond me. And if you ever find yourself there, just know you're exactly where he wants you to be. Because I believe that Jesus puts them in this impossible situation so that they might be forced to depend on him. And there are certain impossible situations that you and I feel like we have been put in that force us to say to the Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Because if you don't provide for me, I won't be able to do it. But let this story be a testimony to you that just as he provided for them, he will, my friends, provide for us. If God has called you to do something, he will give you the grace to complete it. How many are living testimonies that he is faithful? Praise God. He is faithful. And it says in verse number 16, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken uh, pieces. <laughs> I love this. If you go back, if you will, to verse number 15, they were overwhelmed, but here's what they could do. They could do the simple act of obedience that he asked them to do, and that was to sit people down. Now, the miracle of how to feed 5,000 men, not including women and children, this could have been a group of 10,000 or more easily, that miracle was way beyond them. They couldn't figure out the calculus on that. But when he says to them, have everybody sit down, they could do that. See, you and I are only responsible for doing the next simple act of obedience. Maybe the next simple act of obedience is you just simply extending an apology. You can do that. Or maybe the next simple act of obedience is you inviting someone over for dinner. 
maybe a neighbor or a friend or a coworker out to breakfast. You can, you can do that. They couldn't manufacture the miracle, but they certainly could have people sit down. Leave the miracles to Jesus. He'll figure out how to move people's doubts out of the way. He'll figure out how to mend broken hearts. He'll figure out how to answer the tough questions that seem impossible to you. But our responsibility is to do the simple acts of obedience. And on that simple act of obedience, on the other side of the man, a miracle exploded onto the pages of Scripture and onto their hearts. He began to break the fish and invite them into that moment. He began to divide up the bread and invite them into that moment. And I don't want you to miss this. By the time we get to verse number 16, this is about more than just a meal with Jesus. This is about Jesus administering his grace to the world through his disciples. And this is the point of the story. The point of the story is that God wants to invite you and I to participate in the spreading of the kingdom. That God wants to invite you and I to participate in the spreading of his love. So as we pray, Lord, save the world, he looks back at us and he says, take this provision of my grace, of my truth to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your family member, to your friend, to those who are far from my grace, to those who need my love, those who may feel overlooked and forgotten. He's inviting us. And so the disciples had to depend on Jesus. And you and I are going to have to depend on him. But if we do, if we do, we will see amazing things happen as he changes hearts and extends love. And so he begins to break the bread and the fish. And can you imagine what's going through their mind? All right, this is enough maybe for the first round of people. And then they come back and he has more. And then they come back and he has more. And it's, it's as if Jesus is reminding them that though your thinking was practical and natural, what it forgot was this isn't the first time he's been in a desolate place. You remember when Israel was in a desolate place and God provided for them manna from heaven. Well, in the same way, he reminds them that he's able to provide for them even in a desolate place. My friends, he's able to provide for you and I even in the most difficult and desolate seasons of our lives. He is the God of provision and he alone is able to satisfy. Just keep coming back to him every day, every morning, throughout the day. Keep coming back to him because he always has provision. And what I love about this is that it not only was enough, it was more than enough. We serve a God who is more than enough. Can he provide for our family? Yes, because he's more than enough. Can he save our neighbors and our friends? Yes, because he is more than enough. If we can simply trust him, what we will see is that God is more than enough to satisfy not only our hearts and our souls, but the souls and hearts of those he's placed in our lives to reach and to minister to on his behalf. He blessed it, and he broke it, and it was more than enough. I want to close by reading this quote from Tim Chester's book. We've been reading it as a church together. He says this, 
The disciples thought that their five loaves were finite resource that couldn't be shared. 5,000 people later, they still had 12 baskets full of bread. Can you reach your neighborhood with the gospel? Can you pluck up the courage to tell your friends about Jesus? Can you start a new church in your city? Can you feed 5,000 people with five loaves? Our minds are tempted to say we could never do that. We don't have enough money or people. Jesus says, what do you have? Offer that to me and let me use it for my glory. When we come to him and offer ourselves to him, he multiplies it through his grace and he uses it to bring about the miracle of salvation. I wanna invite you to stand with me all over the church. There are two groups of people that are here. Those of you who have yet to come to the table, he invites you today. If you don't know him today, I wanna invite you to give your life to the Lord. Earlier at our 815 service, a sweet lady uh, in her mid-70s came she was invited by a friend and she says, I need Jesus as my savior. I've never given my heart to him. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't matter how old you are or what stage of life you're in. God is able to save. And so whether young or old, wherever you are today, um, I invite you to give your heart to him. But then there's a second group. Those of you who know Jesus and he wants to use you like he did his disciples to, to extend his grace to others. I encourage you to think of who he's asking you to invite, maybe for a meal, a lunch or a dinner, so that you can have great food and talk about a great savior and to see God do an awesome miracle. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers as well. Thank you for reminding us of your truth. Multiply the little we have and do much with it. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said a big amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.